Today, I want to talk to you about God as Father. God as Father. We're looking at Luke chapter 15. We've been hanging out here for three weeks. As you're turning there, I've got a quick announcement. On Wednesday, uh, we will begin a, a new unit in what we're calling Discipleship Pathway. Uh, this Wednesday, we'll begin what's called The Way, and it is the foundational uh, truths of following Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so uh, if you'd like to take the next step in your faith and uh, grow in your relationship with the Lord, I would strongly encourage you to make plans to be here. We'll begin at 645, and we'll get done about 8 o'clock. We do have a children's church. We also have nursery and youth group. Uh, so there's something for the whole family on Wednesday night. So make plans to be here. I'd love to see all of you there. It'd be awesome. Uh, so today I want to talk to you about uh, God as Father. is a very common theme uh, throughout the Bible, but specifically in Jesus' teaching. You'll remember in the model prayer, uh, Jesus says when we pray, how should we pray? Our what? Our Father, right? And over and over and over again, it seems like every time that Jesus talks about God, he uses that phrase, Father. Um, and so he's encouraging us to think about God, not as just like some spirit, impersonal force out somewhere in the universe, but as a very personal, very real Father. Now, uh, I became a Christian when I was 16 years old, and that was, uh, that's when I was introduced to this idea. And uh, it caused me a little bit of some issues because, you know, I hear the word father, and anytime I hear the word father, I think of, of this guy right here. I got a picture of this guy. That's my dad right there. I got a whoop whoop. Must be my, what's that? So there, there's my dad. My dad's awesome. I love my dad. Uh, he's one of the hardest working men that I know. He's a horse farmer. He's one of those guys that uh, just can do a little bit of everything. You know, if you need something fixed, he'll figure out a way. Duct tape, super glue, you know, zip ties, he'll get it done. Uh, the best grill man alive, and I will bet on it. He's awesome. Uh, so my dad, as awesome as he is, he's a dad. And so sometimes dads get grumpy, don't we, Dad. No, no, dads get grumpy, just me. Sometimes dads have a tendency to say no more than they say yes. Dads, are we guilty of that? Sometimes Wayne is. And so when I started thinking about God as father, and it was hard for me not to project what I knew about my dad on God the father. It was hard for me not to project that. And so I started visualizing God as if sometimes he's maybe grumpy and sometimes maybe he says no more than he says yes. And so it kind of affected my spiritual life. And then uh, I met this guy who's really just a powerful influence in my life. And he one time told me, he said, it's a mistake to compare God to any, any earthly father. As good as your father may have been or as bad as your father, it's a mistake to compare because God is a perfect, he is our perfect heavenly father. And that was a helpful distinction. But it caused a different problem for me. That word perfect, it caused a different problem because I go uh, to uh, Broadway Cafe on Fridays. There's a group of us, group of guys, men, all you guys are invited, 7 a.m., Broadway Cafe, we're going to take over the place. But we had a conversation, a debate recently about perfectly cooked bacon, okay? And so some of them, they like the floppy bacon. It's like they put it in your mouth and it's like chewing gum, Okay. Some people like their bacon burnt to a crisp that you can't hardly pick it up without it crumbling. I am a crispy bacon man. Amen? And so when you hold it out, it should just, just stand right there, okay? That's how it should work. 
And so here's the thing. You know, we had this debate. What's perfectly cooked bacon? And so what does a perfect, you see, heavenly father? You see how that's an issue? Because perfect is going to be defined differently between most of it, some of us. And so you might think, well, perfect heavenly father is like a genie in a bottle. And so I'm going to make my wishes, and he's going to give me what I want. Or a perfect heavenly father is like Google. And I'm going to present my question, I'm going to present my request, and I'm going to get an on-demand answer. Or maybe you think a perfect heavenly father is a bodyguard, and he's going to keep all the bad stuff and all the bad people away from me. I'll never be negatively affected. And so what happens when we start thinking about God as a perfect heavenly father, as good of a description as that is, uh, we've got we to wrestle with these expectations that are sometimes faulty. And so what do we do? In order for us to really, truly know God and have an intimate, personal relationship with him, we need to interact with God in the way that he's prescribed for us to interact with him. We need to know God in the way that God has decreed and desired for us to know him. Do you know where that's at? It's the scriptures. This is God's revealed and preserved word. And this is God's primary foundational way that he wants you to know him, not through your experiences, not through your feelings, not through your logic, but through the word of God. Amen? This is where we go if we want to know God. And so there's no better place in all the scriptures to get a better understanding of who God as father is than Luke chapter 15. So let's all stand there, stand and and read in in honor of the word of God. Luke chapter 15, I'll begin reading in verse 11. He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck the country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am, dying of hunger? I'll get up. And I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ringer on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with the feast because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. And we're so grateful for you. And we've come here because... We desire to know you better. We desire to follow you more closely. We desire to live a life that honors you in the way that you're worthy of. But the truth of the matter is, a lot of us are a lot more excited about bacon than we are about you. So help us. Lord, I pray today that you'll give us a heart that loves you more than anything else. 
and that will serve you in a way that you deserve to be served. You're so good. Thank you. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, take a moment and just pray for the people around you. A lot of needs in this room. Spiritual, emotional, physical, financial. Just pray the Lord will meet people in their need today. Pray for the people that are watching online. There's a lot of sickness. There's going to be a lot of people watching online today. Pray for them. Pray for our city, our county, our state, and our country. Especially in light of the elections, pray that the Lord's will be done. Take a moment, pray for yourself. Pray a prayer, something like this. Father, speak to me. I'm ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Jesus tells this uh, parable, Luke 15, and uh, he's telling it to a group of people that um, they should really be super close to God. Uh, These are people that they know the Bible backward and forwards. They're really good at following the rules. But like we learned last week, the older brother, he lived in the father's house, but he was still relationally a million miles away from the father. And so Jesus tells this story because ultimately he wants everybody Uh, the wild child, and even the self-righteous son, he wants everybody to know God the Father better, to have a a more personal, intimate relationship. And so he tells this story. Begins, uh, this story, the story of the lost son begins in in Luke 15, 11. And this is one of the, the things that we can learn from this story this morning. One of the first things that stuck out to me, the father is less controlling than you think. He's less controlling than you think. Luke chapter 15, verse 11 Jesus said to them, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. Now, don't miss what this son is saying to his dad. He's saying to his dad, I want your stuff, but I don't want you. That's what he's saying to his dad. In essence, this is what he's saying to his dad. I wish you were dead. I wish you're dead, but since you won't die, go ahead and give me my inheritance. Verse 12 The younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. And so what did the father do? He distributed the assets to them. He gave him exactly what he was asked for. That's not what I would have done. Amen, parents? That would have come out of his mouth and I don't care how big a boy he is, how old he is, I brought you into this world and what? Some of y'all use that too many times. I would have said to this kid, You go to your room, and you sit in the corner, and you don't come out until you love me. That's not what the father does, though, is it? This is what I'm learning. I'm getting wiser. I'm getting some gray hairs in my beard. I'm getting wiser as I'm trying to raise my kids. I'm learning. You can't control your kids forever, can you? Now, you can for a while. You know, you got quite a bit of control of them for a while, but soon... They get, uh, they get 18, and they don't have to listen to you anymore. They get bigger than you, and it doesn't matter. You can whoop them, and they'll just laugh at you, you know, those kind of things. Can't control them forever, and so sometimes your kids have to learn things the hard way. And so the father gives the son exactly what he's asking for, and the son's rebellion resulted in his ruin. 
Somebody asked me the other day, they said, well, why do you think God's allowing all this craziness in our country? You know, it, it just seems like everything's going downhill, doesn't it? And uh, it seems like the people that really are not committed to doing things the right way, they're the ones that are getting all the authority and the power. And you, you, you see that even on election day. And somebody asked me, why is, why is God allowing all this to happen? And I believe that God is giving our nation exactly what we've asked for for decades. This nation has removed the Ten Commandments out of the courthouse, banned public prayer from school, and disowned the Christian underpinning of our nation, denied that we're even, we even built on Christian principles, disowned it, say, no, 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 that's not who we are. That's not what we're about. In every way we can, we've, we've told God, just get away and leave us alone. And this nation is dead set on sexual depravity and child sacrifice. It's just, we're, we're doing everything to say, God, leave us alone. We're doing everything to disobey the will and the way of God. And so what's the result of saying to God for decade after decade, we want your world, but we wish you were dead? God shows some people, the Israelites, uh, they continually rebelled against God in the Old Testament. Despite countless warnings, they rejected God's way and ran after other gods. Eventually, God hid his face from his people, and he allowed them to be conquered and exiled by their enemies. I want you to see what Ezekiel has to say about it. Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 23. This is not on the screen. This is why you should bring your Bibles to church, because sometimes I do this. Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 23. And the nations will know that the house of Israel went into exile. Why? On account of their iniquity, because they dealt unfaithfully with me. Therefore, I hid my face from them and handed them over to their enemies so that they all fell by the sword. Romans chapter 1 Beginning in verse 25, it's a similar, similar dialogue. God is saying that my wrath is ready to be revealed, and it's just, it's right. Why? Because they exchanged, these rebels, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is forever praised. Amen. They said to God, we want your world, but we wish you were dead. For this reason, God delivered them over. He handed them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural uh, sexual relations for unnatural ones. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. God is giving this nation exactly what it asked for. And we will soon see uh, what a land with no God, it leads to hell. Why is God doing this? Because God's not a tyrant. That's why. He's not going to force you to love him. He's not going to send you. You go to your room and you sit there until you love me. God's not going to do that. That's why hell exists. Rebels their whole life reject God. Their whole life, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, they say, God, leave me alone. I don't want anything to do with you. I want your world, but I wish you were dead. And so in eternity, they will receive what they've been asking for their entire lives. An existence separated from his goodness. God is less controlling than you think. But God is more generous than you realize. 
Look at verse, uh, Luke 15, beginning verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his census, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger? Oftentimes, we don't realize how good we've had it until we've lost it all. Isn't that true? Sometimes God's judgment, God hiding his face, God delivering us over to the negative consequences of our sins, sometimes that's actually a blessing in disguise. God allows us to fall into ruin, rebellious ruin, for our own good. He allows us to hit rock bottom as a wake-up call. The rebellious son had to run far away from home, had to waste all his money on wild living, lose all of his friends, end up in a pig pen trying to eat the pig food in order to realize life was better all along in my father's house. He had to hit rock bottom to appreciate what he had to begin with. You see, God handing people over God's desire for that, the goal is that people will come to repentance. The goal of God handing people over to the negative results of their sinful decisions, God is hoping that you'll wake up. He's hoping that you'll come to your senses and you'll come back to him and appreciate who he is and what he's done. I've had some trials and tribulations in my life. Many caused by myself. Can anybody else in here relate to that? I wouldn't wish those trials and tribulations on my worst enemy. And I would never want to go through it in a million years. I never want to go through it again. But I praise God for those pits that I ended up in. Because it was when I hit rock bottom that I finally learned that I'd rather be a slave in my daddy's house than be the king of my own jacked up kingdom. Can anybody else relate to that? Sometimes we got to hit rock bottom in order to appreciate, in order to realize God has been so good to me. The father is less controlling than you think. He's more generous than you realize, and he's more approachable. He's more approachable than you believe. Look at verse 18. I'll get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. And in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. He's rehearsing his apology speech. You ever done that? He's rehearsing it. We we had a sleepover. Some girls came over to the house. And uh, it got out of hand, okay? Uh, They were down in the basement, and they were squealing and laughing and giggling and making all sorts of noise. And I was too scared to go down there. I didn't even want to see. And then all of a sudden, it got dead quiet. Like, dead quiet. And I was like, man, they fell asleep quick, you know? So I went on to bed. Next day, the daughter that hosted all these girls, she came into the bedroom and she said, 
I could tell she hadn't slept very well. She said, Dad, I'm going to tell you something, but please don't kill me. (laughs) She had rehearsed her apology speech. They broke the bed. That's what happened. They were jumping on the bed. I think a lot of people feel that way towards God, don't you? I'm going to tell you something, but don't kill me. You've been good to me, and I know, and I've been bad to you. I've disobeyed, and I'd like to come back home. I'd like to have a good relationship with you again, but I really just don't even know what to say, and I'm really not sure what you'll do. That's where, that's where the rebellious son is. Look at verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. And so Jesus, he's telling the story, and, and, and he, the way he's telling the story, the focus has been on the rebellious son. The cameras kind of follow the rebellious son on his journey. And so we've seen the rebellious son. He hated the father. He ran away from home. He wasted everything. He ended up in a pit. All these terrible choices. And then he comes to his senses, and he realizes, man, that was better in my daddy's house. I'm just going to go back to my father's house. So this is, the, this is what we've been following. But what was the dad doing the whole time that the rebellious son was gone? Look at verse 20. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion. He ran and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. See, while the rebellious son was throwing his life away, day after day, Hour after hour, the father was sitting on the front porch. He was watching the horizon, just deeply desiring that his son would come back home. And everybody said, you don't waste your time. He's not worth it. He probably won't ever come back. And the dad was like, no, I'm going to sit right here day after day. Hour after hour, month after month, waiting, hoping, desiring for his son to come back home. And one day, a figure popped up over the hill. And he was too far away to see the face, but he could tell the frame, and he knew, that's my son. And he got up out of his rocking chair, his old creaky knees and his old aching back, and he took off running to the sun. And he wrapped his arms around him and gave him a big kiss. Friends, the next time you feel like you can't approach your father in heaven because of the selfish and stupid things you've done, I want you to remember that the father ran to the son. It wasn't the other way around. James chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Take one step towards God. Your Father in heaven has been waiting for you. He's been sitting on the front porch. No matter what kind of pig pen you're in, no matter how much filth is covering your body, God's been waiting for you, deeply desiring that you would pop up over the hill and take one step towards him. And and when you do, he'll look past all the filth. He'll look past all the guilt and the shame, and he will run to you. He will wrap his arms around you. He will kiss you on the forehead, and he'll say to you, what took you so long? What took you so long? Why didn't you come home earlier? I'm so glad you're here. He's more approachable than you believe. Finally, the father is more gracious than you deserve. Verse 21, 
The father said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now remember, this is the son who said, I wish you were dead. So he said to his dad. He said, I want your stuff, but I don't want you. Ultimate sign of disrespect. The cultural norm for dealing with these types of sons in Jesus' day was to kill them on sight. So this son had quite a bit of explaining to do. This better be the best apology speech in history. But the father doesn't even let the son get out his full speech. Look at verse 22. But the father told his servants, quick, bring me a belt so I can punish this boy. Is that what it says? The father says, bring me a shovel so that this boy can pay back all the money that he, he owes me. Is that what it says? It says, quick, bring me my best robe. My boy is dirty and he's half naked. Let's cover over that filth with the best thing that I've got. He says, quick, bring me the family ring because people in this town are going to be gossiping and I want everyone to know that I still claim this boy as my son. Bring me some sandals because I know he's going to be tempted to walk around on eggshells like he can't make any mistakes. I want him to walk confidently in my household knowing that I've got his back. Bring me some steak because I can tell my boy is empty and I want him filled up. I want him completely satisfied. The father, he doesn't even address paying a penalty for the son's sins. Isn't that something? Doesn't say anything about it. Overlooks it all. Why? Because for the sake of the relationship, the father was willing to absorb the cost. You see, that's exactly what Jesus did for you on the cross. For the sake of the relationship, he was willing to absorb the cost of your sins. He paid the penalty. He paid the price for the mistakes that you've made. And so, this is, this is the, the truth because of that reality. If you will just come to the Father and confess your sins, he will forgive you all your rebellion. He'll cleanse you from all your guilt and shame. You see, our Father, our perfect Heavenly Father, is more gracious than we deserve. He's more approachable than we believe, and he's more generous than we realize. But our Father is less controlling than you think. He is not going to force you to love him. He is not going to force you to serve him. He wants you to choose to be his child. He's better than your projections. He's better than your expectations. He's better than you can imagine. He's better than you deserve. He's better than whatever you're running off to that distant country to try and find. He's better than whatever you're going to buy with that inheritance money. He's better. And so if you've strayed from the Father, and you're feeling empty, and you've hit rock bottom, no matter how much guilt and shame and embarrassment is in your life, will you please today come to your senses? Will you please today come back to him, ask for forgiveness? And he will celebrate your arrival and he will receive you as his child. And if you're here today and you're faithfully living in the Father's house, what a good day to be reminded, he's been so good to me. He has been so, so good to me. Never failed me. Never abandoned me. Never deserted me. Even in my darkest hour, even when I was rebellious, he was faithful. 
Today would be a good day to resolve yourself and say to the Father, I'm not going anywhere. You don't have to worry about me running off. I'm right where I want to be in your house. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing a song of invitation. Father, we love you. And we're grateful for the way that you love us. Please help us, Lord, to respond in the way that's fitting to what you've done. Bless us, Lord, as we sing your praises. In Jesus' name, amen.